You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. So welcome to this BJSM podcast, which today is coming to you from the BMA studio in BMA House. I'm Harriet Vickers, an assistant multimedia editor at the BMJ, and with me I've got Ava Verhagen. So thanks very much for, for joining me. Thank you. To, um, to give you your full title, you're a, a sports scientist and academic from the Davu University Medical Centre, that's in Amsterdam, and you've made major contributions in the field of ankle injury rehabilitation, and you're also emerging as one of the leaders in e-health, social media and technology solutions. You're one of only five keynote speakers at the fourth IOC World Congress in Injury and Illness Prevention in Monaco, that's in April next year. And uh, there you'll be talking about e-health in sports medicine. So you sound like a busy man. <laughs> Try to be. So um, tell us a bit about social media and apps. For your general clinician who perhaps hasn't used these too much, uh, doesn't really know much about them, what should they know? First of all, um, maybe it's best to focus on social media because I think most of the users of smartphones know what an app is. Um, they have apps. It's just small little applications you can use on your mobile phone. But social media is more of an enigma to um, most users or clinicians out there. Maybe listeners can alternatively also have a look at the blog I wrote for the British Journal last month, I believe. It was Social Media 101. And it was more of an introductory to social media. But... Um, to be very briefly, social media is any media by which we may communicate interactively with our peers. And in a sense, a simple email sent to a colleague or to a patient is already a form of social media because we're interacting electronically with each other. Yet, the more sophisticated social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook, um, they bring users together. Uh, LinkedIn is also an example. And the, the LinkedIn is... is purely a social platform for business, as they say themselves, and Twitter is commonly used, or Facebook is commonly used more for personal uses, but you can really use them for more uh, business uses as well in, in the field of sports medicine. Hmm. So you mentioned three there, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, which are kind of, I guess, the big ones that mm-hmm. the you know the population as a whole knows about is that the same for medics are there any kind of specific ones you think clinicians should be using i don't know if there are specific ones for clinicians at the moment i know that research gate for researchers is up and coming it's a platform by which we can interact with peer researchers within specific fields we can upload our papers discuss our papers request full pdf copies mm. so that that's a really good um emerging platform and I can imagine these platforms might rise for sports medicine professionals as well but I don't think at this stage they will add much to what Twitter and Facebook have to add or can add so to say okay because you don't have to be an active user of these platforms as a sports medicine professional to make good use of them Mm. your peers um, are already on these platforms so you may follow certain topics or certain researchers or certain key persons within the field who have opinions and ventilate these opinions on Twitter or Facebook. And I think Twitter is the, the most well-used method for that. And, and you can scan for topics of interest and see what is out there. And usually the news spreads faster through Twitter or Facebook than it does through regular papers or regular news. Okay, so it's kind of two different 
sides to it there. There's using it as an, a news feed and to pick up on opinions and possibly results mm-hmm. earlier than they get published, which is a bit more passive. But then you can also use it as a, a real driver of your own research and your own opinions. Yeah, but now we're talking about research, but ha- let's talk about patients. You know, if mm. you're a sports medicine professional, you can also have patients and, and you can follow your patients. Maybe a simple example of how it might be used is that you see that one of your patients sprains his ankle during a soccer match on Saturday and then puts that on Twitter and on Monday says, well, my ankle is still thick. You as a doctor might pick that up by following your patients and might contact him and saying, well, I saw you sprained your ankle. It's still thick and swollen. It might be a good idea to come in and let me check it. Mm. Are there any dangers, though, with interacting with patients or, I mean, even potential patients on Twitter? If you get someone who kind of, you know, picks up that you're a professional and tweets you saying, oh, I've hurt my leg. How do you respond to that? Would you give them advice over Twitter or would you get them to go and see someone? I would get them to go and see someone and use that as a means to draw their attention to the need to see someone. One of the pitfalls, of course, is is that you can um, give the wrong information. But one of the big pitfalls here is that everyone can see your messages. So it's not it's not a private conversation you're having with someone or, or you have to, to send private messages or um, emails. But most of the stuff you put out there is, is, is public. Mm. You have to be aware of that. So would your advice be don't discuss clinical matters with, with patients on Twitter? No, don't do that. Okay, no. great. That's, that's confidential uh, information anyway, so don't put it there. Okay. But you can advise them to come in. Um, for instance, but that, that was just a, a simple example of how you might be able in a practical setting to use Twitter. And I know in the Netherlands that there are general practitioners who use Twitter as a means to, to have consultations with their patients. From what I've seen, it's more of, of um, a sharing of information. Someone says, well, I have, uh, I have an, an itch on my arm, and then the doctor says, well, it might be this, might be good to check that out. I think in general, we're still finding out how we can use social media or apps altogether. What about apps? What can clinicians get out of these? Depends on what you're looking for. Um, apps are in various forms, various sizes, various platforms. And we have information tools, um, so simple educational books or reference books being translated into apps so you can have them offline on Mm. on a small telephone or on your your iPad. Makes it more handy because a lot of books fit in your iPad Mm. so you don't need a big bookshelf. But I think we're moving more towards the more interactive apps by which we can educate our patients. For instance, the injury they, they have occurred. We can show them interactively through an anatomy atlas or an anatomical figure we can show them what happened, which parts or which sides of the body are injured, uh, what they can do to prevent it. We can show them um, exercise programs. We even have apps, and so we can give them apps that allow them to use these programs at home, explaining them what to do, how to do it, and, and even containing um, exercise programs with push messages, for instance. Hmm. So is that what your app does? Tell me a bit more about that. It does it a bit, yeah. But to be honest, I'm not the only one that should have full credit for that app. Um, you're referring to the Ankle app we mm. created. The idea 
to create a multi-channel campaign in relation to the ankle sprains was uptaken by the Dutch Consumer Institute and the Dutch Society for Sports Physicians. So when you say multi-channel, do you mean the web? Not only an app. It was a web, yeah. We developed the training program and we established in a randomized trial that, that prevented about half of all the recurrent ankle sprains. However, compliance was really low. Only about 20% of the population actually mm. used the program. Yet we found high results. So we thought, well, this is worthwhile trying to get out into the world. And together with these other two institutes, we developed more high-end videos of all the exercises. And we de- those were developed around uh, a good-looking website mm. uh, available to all. Um, they were placed on YouTube available to all. And the Consumer Safety Institute took the idea to create an app around this program using these um, videos as well. Mm. Um, so, so have you run a trial on compliance with that yet? We're working on that right now. We did an evaluation after the small campaign that was attached to the app. It was uh, vented through uh, regular media in um, press releases and on websites of specific sports, um, soccer websites, volleyball websites, basketball websites, but also through channels of physical therapists and sports physicians. Mm. So we told them that the app was out there and that it contained an exercise program, and we followed that up. Uh, We're now analyzing the results of about one year follow-up to see how many downloads there have been and how many people actually used the app and actually used the program that was embedded in the app. Mm. With all these electronic media, there are really nice ways to actually look at the base views within the app, how long mm. people were in the app. So mm. we have quite um, sophisticated information on, on the use. Great. And is that free? Can anyone go and have a look at that? The app? Mm. Yeah, it's free, but the problem is it's in Dutch okay. at this moment. Okay. Um, so one of the things um, we are trying to push forward together with the BJSM is to translate that Dutch app into an English app Great. so it can be distributed to a wider audience. Yeah. Brilliant. So when's all that going to happen? I hope this year. We're working hard on that. Um, there's some, some issues to resolve, but I think it will work out. Brilliant. Great. So that's one for, for listeners to watch out for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is there anything else you're going to be collaborating with BJSM on? Yeah, what what we're planning to do is to um, write occasional pieces for the journal, um, likely in a blog, um, by which we uh, summarize, for instance, a number of anatomy apps. Um, so not favoring one or the other a- app, but just providing an overview of, of what is potentially out there. And then writing a small statement on how uh, the sports medicine professional can use these apps in practice. Um, for instance, you can use such an anatomy app to show your patient what body part is injured, what has happened, um, what will happen if they follow certain exercises. Um, that, that's one use and, and um, plenty of ideas to, to go in, in there. Yeah. And what are the other good apps, do you think, that are out there? What, what have you found really useful for practice? Again, it depends on what you want to do. If you want to prevent injuries or have an app you can give to your patients telling them that if they follow the app it prevents injuries. Um, I don't have very good news at this moment. We just wrote a review that was just last week accepted for publication in the British Journal again on injury preventive apps. 
And within about 64,000 potential apps um, of interest, only 18 talked about injury prevention. And only one actually contained an evidence-based injury prevention right. program, which was ours in the end. Um, but the message being is that there, there is, for injury prevention, a really large potential reach by, mm. by creating apps with good content, evidence-based content, that, it, that there is none. So that, that's needed. In relation to treatment, there are lots and lots of reference apps available. I don't know how much better or more effective they are in relation to just taking a book and having that on your desk, but it's, it's more convenient. The thing is, there are numerous apps available, um, and you just have to find the, the app that is right for you, and that, that might be a challenging task. Ava, thanks for, for coming in and talking to us a bit more about that. Wonderful, thanks. And before I let you go, I should just mention that the um, the Dutch Sports Medicine Society, that's VSG, is a BJSM member society, so all members have access to BJSM. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.